0: Collected works number two hundred and sixty six, the first of three volumes, entitled From the Esoteric School. This first one is the Esoteric Lessons from 1904 to 1909 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James H. Hines. And this is the second the nineteenth section of this entire book. There's one more after this. And these are the esoteric lessons. This first esoteric lesson is from Düsseldorf, April 19, 1909. Record A. Is a manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Anonymous. And Record B are notes from Unknown. Record A. When entering the school, esoteric pupils have to fulfill only one condition, namely this that they apply their reason, their intellect, entirely to what flows to them as teaching that they ask themselves when listening to the teacher, quote, Is it reasonable for me to walk this path? Close quote. It is absolutely necessary that they recognize and understand with their reason, with their understanding, what is given to them. This is absolutely necessary so that the esoteric work we have to do has the proper effects. Our esoteric work can bear the proper fruit only with this precondition. On the other hand, the school has to fulfill the precondition that everything that flows through it comes only from the great teachers, whom we call the masters of wisdom and the harmony of feelings. What is their intention with this esoteric school? A small band of people is to be educated, which Is to be equipped with knowledge concerning the evolution of the world and humanity that brings the proper attitude for the great spiritual truths that stand behind world events. These people are then to pour these truths back into the evolution of humanity for its furtherance. How is it that just now this spiritual movement has come into being? That is based on important processes in the spiritual worlds, for everything on earth is only a reflection of them. We have seen that great spiritual hierarchies carry out the commands of the Godhead and guide the destinies of humankind. Eight hundred years before the Christian era, it was necessary from one side to send hindering forces into evolution in order to prepare the mystery of Golgotha. The legions of a leader who was called Mammon in esotericism were set loose for this purpose. They darkened more and more the consciousness of humans concerning their connection with God. People lost ancient clairvoyance as the science and philosophy of the West blossomed. Ancient Eastern philosophy still had its origin in the old clairvoyance, while Greek philosophy Grew entirely out of the material world. Thales' statement, everything originates in water, was gradually understood in an entirely physical sense. People gradually lost the memory of the spiritual behind water. But in these times of darkness, there were also great teachers at work who reminded the people of their spiritual origin. Let us assume that someone of that time had had no opportunity to listen to the teachings of a Buddha or a Zoroaster and so forth. What would have happened to such a person after death? You know that the life between two incarnations is subject to change, just as is a life in the physical realm in history. This darkening of human consciousness only occurred, of course, gradually just as everything in evolution only happens gradually. These spirits of mammon could bring their influence to bear only gradually, and with each generation the son was less clairvoyant than the father, while the grandfather was even more clairvoyant and so forth. Now when human beings died with an entirely darkened consciousness for the divine, They took this darkness with them across the threshold and had to gradually work their way out of this cloud. To speak in pictures, they went from hand to hand, following the series of ancestors up to their primal ancestors who still had full clairvoyance. In this way, the cloud was gradually broken up. Of course this required much time and it could happen that someone could no longer meet his or her primal ancestor because the ancestor had meanwhile reincarnated and then he or she had to return immature to a new incarnation. This path was called the father path, in quotes, or pitriana in Eastern wisdom. Those, however, who took up the wisdom of a Zoroaster, a Buddha, who followed a great teacher, were received on the other side, taken by the hand of their teacher, who shortened for them the Pitriyana, broke up the cloud, and led them to their divine origin. This path in Eastern wisdom was called Devayana, path of God. The light of the mystery of Golgotha shone into the time of the greatest darkness. Esoteric pupils know, or should know, that in the moment that blood flowed from his wounds, Christ began his journey into spiritual world, that he appeared in Devakan, That was the spiritual reflection above of the physical events below. What the mystery of Golgotha brought to humankind is still present, but an understanding of it can only gradually light up in human souls. Indeed, not even today can it appear in general. At the time of the mystery of Golgotha, the guiding power in the destinies of humans was taken over by Orifiel, out of the hands of Michael. Orifiel is one of the leaders whom the legions of Mammon serve and who has to put up obstacles and hindrances to evolution. Michael took over from Gabriel, who returned in the sixteenth century and took over the Regency anew after further archangels followed upon Oriphiel. Gabriel oversees the guidance of human births. Therefore, he is the one who, for example, announced the birth of John the Baptist and the Christ. In the sixteenth century, he prepared through selection of births a human brain in such a way that an organ was formed within it, which, to be sure, the techniques of materialistic science cannot discover, which, however, allows the present-day brain to appear very different from that of a person from the 13th or 14th century, for example. For a clairvoyant, since the 16th century, the human brain has clearly perceptibly changed to the end that humans learn to gradually understand Christianity in its entire significance. We have seen that in the 4th or 5th centuries, until the 14th century, copies of the etheric and astral bodies of Christ were bestowed upon personalities who in this way kept the spirit of true Christianity alive. Augustine, who received an imprint of the etheric body, after many errors, Arrived at mystical knowledge that has many similarities with our Theosophical teachings. The sevenfold division of the human being, for example, was a fact known to him, even if he had other names for it. All these people, with the gift of an astral body or etheric body, were notable for their deep humility, because they were conscious of the fact that the great truths that they proclaimed came to them as enlightenment, as grace, that they could not understand with their eye. capital. When such cosmic events occur, as for example the gift of an etheric or astral body from Christ, then they are usually accompanied by phenomena of nature, which we are inclined to understand as accidents, but are deeply connected with the spiritual events. To mention just one example, Thomas Aquinas, as a small child, received an astral body of Christ when a bolt of lightning struck. It killed his little sister, who was lying in a cradle in the same room, but it made the boy's astral body elastic in order to receive the lofty astral body of Christ. Through the preparation of the human being by Gabriel in the 16th century, To develop a new organ in the forebrain, it has become possible that in the last third of the nineteenth century, after Gabriel passed the Regency on to Michael, what we call theosophy could flow from the great masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings, in order gradually to bring close to humanity the significance of the mystery of Golgotha in all its effects. When humans pass through the portal of death today, then they, every individual, can find their great master, who allows himself to be found by every human being living in the physical realm. End of Record A. Record B. In the first until the third millennium before Christ, humankind had a dim clairvoyance, that nevertheless increasingly darkened as day consciousness became brighter. Clairvoyance diminished by degrees and the descendant became constantly less clairvoyant than the ancestor. If humans died who had heard nothing of the teachings of Zoroaster, Hermes or Buddha, their clairvoyant consciousness in the spiritual world was as if enveloped by a black cloud and they had to Walk the so-called Pitriana father-path. They had to pass from hand to hand of their ancestors, who took over the leadership until they came to the one who was the most clairvoyant. The judges of the dead in ancient exoteric Egyptian teachings are nothing more than ancestors. Now it could happen that the departed no longer even met such an ancestor, because the ancestor was already reincarnated. For this reason, such a person had to reincarnate immaturely. If, however, the person had taken up the teaching of the great religious leaders, then after passing through his or her personal Kamaloka, he or she could be guided further at the hand of such a founder of religion, and this was called Devayana, Path of the Gods. Until, approximately 600 years after Christ, the great teachers of the Church, for example Augustine, could regard the Christian truths only as a gift of grace. This is connected with the fact that they received copies of the etheric body of Jesus of Nazareth, interwoven into their own etheric body. Their brain was not yet so far developed that they could understand this teaching with their intellect. Later, these teachers received copies of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth, interwoven into their astral body. Francis of Assisi had such an astral body. A process such as this, interweaving, is also always connected with outer phenomena of nature. As the little Thomas Aquinas lay in the crib and next to him his little sister, lightning struck. It killed the little sister, but... The bolt of lightning made Thomas's astral body flexible for receiving the copy of the astral body of Jesus of Nazareth. Before the appearance of Christ, Michael was the archangel who had to carry out the commands of Yahweh. Oriphiel took over from him. Oriphiel who conducted the regency at the time of Christ. At that time, the deepest darkness lay over humankind because Mammon and his legions were working especially powerfully in that age. Several other archangels followed, and in the sixteenth century the regency of the spirit Gabriel began. He has to prepare in a seed-like way what should manifest later. He is the guide of birth. For this reason, Gabriel is also the proclaimer of the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Under his regency, the forebrain was changed so that people could now understand the truths of Christianity with their intellect. In November 1879, something significant happened in the astral world. It was the victory of the archangel Michael over the god Mammon and his legions, and now spiritual life can again flow into humanity, in parentheses, Theosophy. The end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson is from Berlin, May 5th, 1909. Record A is a manuscript from Anonymous. Record B a manuscript from Camilla Vandri. Record A. We want to discuss what our life of meditation causes when we carry out our meditations in the right way. During the time between morning and evening, our four bodies are united. The eye and astral body influence the etheric body and physical body, and indeed through thinking, feeling, and willing. For example, we make a mental picture of a rose when we see it. We feel it is beautiful, and carry out an act of will when we pick it. Through this mental representing, feeling, and willing we stimulate our etheric body and also our physical body. Through every mental act, feeling and willing, we bring forth an impression on the physical body, whether we perceive it or not. It is thus with every normal person. It is different with animals, but we do not wish to speak of this here. Above all, it is also different with esotericists. When they immerse themselves in their meditation, something different happens. The meditations are arranged in such a way by the masters of wisdom and the harmony of feelings that they stimulate only the etheric body and the physical body is excluded. Only the etheric brain is vibrating and the physical remains at rest. In this way, the etheric body can work back upon the astral body imprint it with its meditative experiences and thus develop the organs in it that it needs. And these then work on the physical body to make it healthy. We can clarify this with a lowly example. If we direct our attention to a shining object, we can thereby also cut out our physical body. The etheric body becomes free. But because no meditative content is coming toward us that can stream into us, we are accessible to all spiritual influences in our surroundings, higher and lower, good and evil. That is something very inferior, while consciously excluding the physical body during meditation is something nobler. Was that always the case? No. In earlier times the Hierophant drew the etheric body out of the physical body of his or her pupil, in order to imprint it with experiences from supersensible worlds. In all degrees, from the simplest trance up to the three-and-a-half-day sleep of death, it was always the Hierophant who arranged everything in the consciousness of the pupil, while today the pupil, him or herself, and with consciousness, pulls out the etheric body, lifts it up, and lets the teaching of the Master stream in. Why is this the case? Here we must remember that spiritual beings of various levels, during various ages, direct the destiny of the earth. From approximately the 15th century onward, the direction lay in the hands of that being whom we call the Archangel Gabriel. He had the task of correctly directing the births on earth, so that gradually, among humans, an organ was developed that is found in the frontal cavity above the root of the nose. It is not directly physically perceptible. However, if a corpse of today and a corpse from the thirteenth century, for example, were compared, differences in the structure and the windings of the brain would be found at the location mentioned. This organ was gradually prepared by the Archangel Gabriel in humans, so that they would be in a position to receive the message of Michael, who took over the Regency from him in 1879. Michael will imprint the message of theosophy into the human being by means of this new organ, indeed not directly. in such a way that he lets his wisdom stream into the etheric bodies of humans through the Great White Lodge. From there, humans must send it consciously into the organ for this wisdom and then allow it to work in the etheric body. Gabriel worked during his last regency upon humans in the time from conception and birth. The human brain was different earlier It always received, so to speak, fresh impulses. It no longer receives these. Instead of them, it has the new organ, which humans must develop out of their own initiative. What happens with those who do not do this, who do not want to receive the message of the archangel Michael? Those who make themselves receptive to it are ready to work in the right way on the evolution of the earth and humanity and esotericists should place this high, ideal goal before their soul in all modesty, but also with determination, and become constantly more conscious of their lofty task involving great responsibility. The others who do not use their organ thereby cause it to dry up, because every organ that is not used degenerates. They thereby avoid the work that they are supposed to do. This work will nevertheless be done, the archangel Micaiah will see to it, but in a different way than would have happened through humans. Always when a human being avoids work, the spiritual world is calling upon him or her to accomplish it. When the earth transitions into its Jupiter condition, the task that was set for it in this period of evolution must be done. We want to unroll the great future picture that is presented when the earth is ripe for the Jupiter condition. Through the people who have genuinely worked it, excuse me, through the people who have genuinely worked, it will, in part, be entirely spiritualized, and these people will live in a wonderful paradise. However, through the people who have let their organ dry up, part of the earth will also be hardened, like a small kernel, so to speak, shrunk together. And the people who live on it will not perceive the others. The others will not be present for them. They will not be mature enough to enter the Jupiter condition, and for this reason will be carried over into the womb of spiritual beings. And it will be shown with them how difficult it is not to have kept pace with evolution humans have only this earth period to educate themselves to freedom and by means of it to love. And for this work we should obtain strength in our meditations. Sooner or later, indeed through our meditation, we will get to know the spiritual world that surrounds us. However, we should bear in mind that it should happen with the proper attitude, not out of curiosity, which we like to call inquisitiveness, but rather in order to help humanity with progress to freedom and love. The end of Record A. Record B. Through the Archangel Gabriel, since the 15th century, an organ was prepared in the time between conception and birth, in the forepart of the head, that makes it possible for people of the present time to receive influences from the spiritual world. This organ has been prepared, but we must activate it ourselves. When we do this, then the following process happens. Through meditation, etc., the etheric part of the head is driven out, just as in hypnosis. Then this etheric part is granted the influence of Michael, And when we return the etheric body, works into the astral body. In this way, the healing forces of the exercise then flow again back into the physical body. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson was given in Berlin on May 27, 1909. Manuscript from Eugenie Bredov. As time passed, before Christ came to the earth and became a human being, such a great darkness had entered that even the masters in physical life no longer had that bright knowledge of the supersensible worlds that they had possessed earlier. Only very gradually did a brightening occur after Christ entered into flesh. This is the reason why, among the initiated contemporaries of Christ Jesus, for example, in the Gospels, knowledge of the significance of the event of Golgotha was not found. Even a great initiate, to whom in his Egyptian incarnation almost nothing of the spiritual truths that had been revealed to humans was hidden, could not clearly remember this. Knowledge is always first revealed to humanity from above, from higher beings, through its great initiates, and also through their pupils. Then the initiates must pass on these revelations as teaching. To come to knowledge without what has already been revealed first being given to him or her as a teaching, that is entirely impossible for anyone. For this reason, in esoteric schools, the pupils have constantly been taught what they can turn into knowledge. For this reason, the teachings given in theosophy can be given publicly, in order to give those who long for it knowledge of the truth to come to Christ. The childhood of the great initiates differs little from the life of other children. Perhaps there are only a few aspects that indicate the kind of spirit that lives in a child. They must learn and enrich their knowledge as others and only thus acquire what they were in previous incarnations. This was also the case with Christian Rosenkreutz. Perhaps it took many a miracle for him not to have recognized at the outset the significance of the event of Golgotha. That was because the eye of Jesus was placed in him, as in Augustine the etheric body, and in Venerable Francis of Assisi the astral body. But because it was the eye, it first had to work its way through to knowledge in order to bring it to full effect. With it, He had a high and important mission. The only true name of Christ is I Am. Who does not know this or understand this and calls Him otherwise knows nothing at all about Him. Let me read that again. The only true name of Christ is I Am. Who does not know this or understand this and calls Him otherwise knows nothing at all about Him. I Am. Is his only name. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson is given in Kassel on June 27, 1909. Record A, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Fleder. Record B, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Fleder. Record C, notes from Wilhelm Huber Schleiden. Record D, manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg. Record A, since so many members are present today for such a lesson for the first time, we will begin by again saying that an esoteric lesson is one in which the responsibility for what is said lies not with the one who is speaking. The truths that belong to the esoteric life will also be repeated again. In ordinary life, humans do many things that remain unconscious to their spirit. For example, they will close their eye. E-Y-E, if a fly touches it. If this process of closing one's eye first had to be thought through, then not much would come of it. This activity, and many like it, was first learned through uncountable errors. So also, the loftiest beings have achieved their loftiness only through being exposed to errors at all stages of their evolution, and only gradually acquiring the corresponding ability so that errors were no longer possible, because what was learned became automatic. Now, we are also to learn to do, automatically, many things for which we now must still expend much power of thought. As our ordinary I, capital, raises itself, and the higher self is born, it is necessary to take care that at the same time our thinking flows logically and lawfully so that errors are excluded. Otherwise, the moment will come when the I leaves lower thinking to itself, which leads to great confusion in our lower nature. Those who believe that thinking is something subordinate, for which one need not strive, are not suitable for the esoteric life. This is precisely what is most important. Three things are most important to keep in mind if one wants to advance esoterically. They are selfishness, the tendency to fall victim to favorite habits, and worry. The exercises, as they are given to us, and theosophy, as it is now taught, are the means by which we come to infallibly logical thinking, so that thoughts unfold logically by themselves and no errors arise. This is indeed a lofty ideal that we will not reach for a long time. But we should strive for it with all our power. That is the proper preparation for our astral body. If our thinking is regulated logically, desires can no longer rise up and our body works automatically. Concerning the second thing, we are born with certain inclinations that are transformed in life into habits. What fit with these habits in earlier life now becomes a hindrance to progress. For this reason we should constantly give ourselves an accounting of every inclination and every action that arises from it. The inclination toward certain habits should be attacked relentlessly and eliminated because these habits become lodged in the etheric body and hinder its higher development. Through worry a burden develops for the physical body. To a certain extent all humans must bear their necessary worries. But beyond this limit, worry is a great evil, for it makes thinking impossible by drying out the brain so that in later life it is not in a position to take up new thoughts. We worry, because we have let the spirit of mammon into us. Everything is already so materialized that this spirit is applied to the most materialistic region when one speaks of worry. And this spirit has penetrated so deeply into us that our leaders have taken measures in order to take upon themselves a portion of our worry in order to relieve us of them. The greatest model is Christ is recognized by everyone as the man of pain, the Savior, upon whom we can unload our cares. Those who want this and want to live in Christ can unload their worries and make their physical body strong and healthy so that their soul will also be healthy. The end of Record A, Record B. Today we want to stress three points in particular for the esoteric life, selfishness, being caught in cherished habits, worries. Selfishness is fought through logical thinking. We involuntarily close our eyes at the approach of a fly. This has become possible for us through a long period of learning. The spirits of movement have woven it into us. What we do involuntarily is always correct and wise. What we do voluntarily is subject to error. Even the spirits of movement first had to learn. They made many, many mistakes before movements such as closing the eyes and the like became involuntary in us, and before these movements could be carried out with such wisdom. Such movements are entirely independent of our personal feeling, from our wishes and so forth. Our thinking must also become like that. The proper thought sequences must line up one after another entirely by themselves. Our thoughts must not come forth for selfish reasons, for egotistical purposes. They must follow one another, one after another, in pure logic. We learn logical thinking from theosophical teachings. We develop this logic within us by having these thoughts placed before us, the mighty facts, all of which can be understood with the intellect, even if one cannot see them and research them oneself, and we attempt to grasp them with our thinking. In this way we are distracted from the thought sequences that are grouped around our own small lower eye and directed to great encompassing ideas. Thus we work on our astral body. Habits that can be entirely appropriate in one life must be eliminated in another. Habits are anchored in the etheric body. All actions must become conscious. Our actions must not be caused by tradition, not by relationships to family, to country, not by certain classes and situations, but rather we should undertake every action out of our very own initiative. Thus we work on our etheric body. We are embedded in the physical world through our physical body. The more we feel connected with it, the more we are cut off from the spiritual world. We should not fall prey to worry. Certainly we must keep up with everything that is our duty here. We must succeed with respect to other people. But we should not be swallowed up by worry we must not, quote, die into matter, close quote. It is difficult here to maintain the proper balance. How much should we worry about daily life, and how and when should we feel ourselves to be above it? Here we can only do what is right with correct knowledge of the Christ principle. When we allow Christ to be born in us, when we die not into matter, but in Christ, then we have grasped what is right, the good, the true. In this way, we are working on the physical body. The end of record B. Record C. Selfishness is fought by thinking objectively. As unconsciously as our eye closes when something flies against it, that is how impersonally our thinking should proceed. Our thought process must be ruled not by our wishes, but rather by the facts of experience and pure logic. Cosmology presents us with such impersonal facts. Our eye is filled with great all-encompassing ideas. In our actions, we should not allow ourselves to be guided by the connections in our etheric body, family, race. The more we feel connected to the earthly world through worries, the more we are cut off from the spiritual world. We must do our duty and make our way with respect to other people. But through worry we die into matter. We should be moderate, not be swallowed up by worry, but rather die in Christ. End of record C, record D excerpt. There is a certain substance in which worries live, and there are individualities of a highly developed kind who take upon themselves humanity's substance of worry. In esotericism they are called soter, s-o-t-e-r. The greatest soter, called the man of sorrow, is the Christ. And it is not without reason that he says, quote, all your worries cast upon him, close quote. If people understand these words correctly, then they must know that all their worries, beyond a certain point, they must hand over to Christ, so that they themselves can move forward in the right way. And that's the end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson was given in Kassel on July fourth, nineteen o nine. Record A: Stenographic notes from Franz Seiler. Record B: Manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg. Record C. Notes from Wilhelm Huberschleiden, Record A, Number One. Doctor Steiner introduced the lesson by saying that within the Theosophical Society there are not two antagonistic directions of esoteric training opposing one another. He stressed that frequently, excuse me, he stressed that frequently. However, this rumor always appears again, and statements are spread as if to say that such opposition between the two schools of esoteric life in the Theosophical Society actually existed. This hostility is therefore thoroughly denied. The objective state of affairs is this, that at the Congress in Munich, the relationship of Annie Besant's school and that of Dr. Steiner experienced a change inasmuch as Dr. Steiner, the former leader of the esoteric school, is no longer subordinate but was coordinated the subordination was transformed into cooperation. For this reason, these two schools now exist alongside one another, support one another reciprocally, but are far from battling one another. Number two, concerning the exercises, how they must be carried out, with earnestness and endurance and punctuality, what is their intention? They are intended to awaken the forces that are asleep in the human being. Where do these forces lie? In the astral body, etheric body, physical body. Concerning the value and significance of symbols, symbols are pictures of processes and relationships in the spiritual world. When we use them on ourselves, we are transferring processes and conditions of the spiritual world into the Our own being. Symbols are thus to be applied in such a way that we make them real within us during our exercises, that we take them into our being. Number three, concerning the I, capital. In earlier times, the human eye still lived somewhat outside the physical body. In Atlantean times, that was the case. Even today, there are still very individual people whose eye is not entirely drawn into the physical body. At that time, humans, clairvoyant, but they could not themselves distinguish themselves from outer things, they flowed together with them. In Atlantean times, evolution led to this eye being laid into the physical body. The point is between the eyebrows. Number four. Now, from here... The eye is to work into the spiritual world again. This also happens in the course of evolution. At first humans transform a part of their astral body, thereby manas arises, spirit-self. Then they transform a part of their etheric body, buddhi, life-spirit, and finally a part of their physical body into atman, spirit-human being. Thus the eye works through all three kingdoms. Number 5. How Evolution Has Proceeded After the initiates had already been prepared on Atlantis, the best were chosen at the time of the destruction of the Atlantean continent in order to serve as a core in the formation of a new race. They were led to Asia, into the Gobi Desert, and were educated there with what was necessary to make them into progenitors of the fifth race post-Atlantean humanity, but they were still very similar to the Atlanteans with respect to their view of the world and the outer world. They did not yet distinguish the outer world very much from their own world. They still flowed together with the outer world. They still lived more with the gods. Only later did the distinction appear and their first distinction was to see the outer world as maya, as mere appearance. They distinguished between good and evil, Ahura Mazda and Ahriman. Then it continued through the Chaldean-Egyptian-Babylonian age, then into the Greco-Roman age up, until, up into our time. Number 6. In the course of time, the human etheric body was drawn increasingly into the entire body, especially the head. Originally human beings saw all beings and things blurred together in all possible forms and color nuances. After further time passed, these emerged ever more clearly. Contours became sharp with borders, such as is available today in the human ability to see. 7. Further evolution moves along, so that with this clarity of vision we achieve again the old realms of consciousness. We live again into the realms that human beings experienced in their consciousness in earlier times. In order to achieve this, all who want to develop faster will practice certain exercises. One such exercise is as follows. And there's a picture. This means we should first place a point of light approximately twenty to thirty centimeters outside our head as directed above. Then we must draw the point of light into us between the eyebrows and let it flow through our whole body. When it, what has been taken in, is then inside, the exercise continues so that what has been taken in is again Projected in a creative form, self creative, that is then imaginative knowledge, self created plastic pictures in the spiritual world. End of record A. Record B. The One, unity, in the Three, Trinity, creates, brings about, measure, number, and relation. The One is the revelation of the Absolute, of divine being. The Three is represented by the eyebrows. Measure is the temple of God in the human spirit. Absolute unity works through Trinity in inner measure, number, and relation. There's a sort of a symbol of a house, With this symbol, I must think of my higher I outside me as it works on Trinity, my thinking, feeling, and willing. It should work like the divine I and transform these three forces. The end of record B, record C. Absolute unity works through Trinity within, measure, number, and weight relation. We would all like to rise into the spiritual worlds. Symbols are what make our path up easier, and indeed they help all the more intensely the more my eye is involved in them. With this symbol I must think of my higher eye outside me. I must learn to look upon myself very objectively as an object, a table or something like that. Like the divine eye, that created me, I should learn to work on my soul forces, my intellectual forces, my emotional forces, and my character. I should work creatively, like the divine eye, and transform them. Indeed, they should penetrate me in two streams that I imagine as going through my eyebrows, the three, and enter within me, into the temple of my body, which has been set up, like every temple, only still more complicated, according to measure, number, and relation. When I meditate upon this, stimulate my thinking, feeling, and willing, then powerful thoughts are awakened in me. Yet six preconditions must be previously fulfilled. The human being must have acquired 1. Control of thought 2. Initiative in actions 3 composure, 4. Positivity, 5. Freedom from bias, 6. Repeating and connecting all of the above in harmony. In another otherwise identical text, the following sentence is found. If my lower eye is strengthened by these exercises, then it can begin the path into higher worlds. This symbol helps it to do this. That is the end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson was given in Munich on August 27, 1909. Footnote Record A. Manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record B. Manuscript from Camilla Vondry; Record C. Notes from the collection of Fred Pippick. Record D. Notes from Ida Knoch. Record E. Notes from Günther Wagner and Wilhelm Hüberschleiden. Record F. Notes from Günther Wagner. Record A. Today we want to occupy ourselves with the characters of the esoteric script, which pupils come to know in the course of their development, and through which the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings convey wisdom to us, wisdom that has been carried over to us from the time of Atlantis. After the sinking of Atlantis, Great initiates led two main streams of people from the west toward the east, one through Africa, the other through Europe. The one that came through Africa toward Asia produced, in the course of incarnations and evolution, the individuality who could take up the Christ light. Meanwhile, in the northern stream, initiates raised a strong, powerful stock of people, who not only knew how to spite their enemies, but were also psychically a match for demonic influences. At various locations in Europe, there were mystery centers, the existence of which is reported in many old sagas. For example, behind the legend of King Arthur and his round table is hidden a report of such a secret school. King Arthur was a high initiate, who made known the wisdom of the mysteries to his pupils. Now there is an esoteric law that certain initiates, when an especially lofty one had unfolded his or her activity on the physical plane, are withdrawn in time back into the spiritual worlds and do not work down as far as the physical plane. So it happened that while the Christ light was shining in the east, another lofty initiate withdrew himself for whom the northern European people had been prepared for a later field of action. He was incarnated at a certain point in time in order to bring the truth of the Christ event in all its significance to humanity. And the legend of the Holy Grail, which was carried by angels from the east to the west and was then kept hovering above the earth tells of this incarnation of a lofty initiate. And the guardian of the grail, King Tittorel, was the reincarnation of the lofty initiate, who was to prepare a certain period in history. There is an old French legend, the, the legend of Flore and Blanche Fleur, that was inspired by Tittorel, and was to bring forth and inspire, in the course of incarnations, a personality who is to play a great role in world history and evolution this personality was charlemagne one can have historical and moral views of an historical personality that often differ greatly from the views that a clairvoyant obtains through his or her experiences in any case charlemagne was destined to advance evolution in a certain way titterel attracted pupils In a certain sense, all these pupils were called Parsifal. A Parsifal had to have freed himself, through appropriate exercises, from all influences that would pull him down. He had to be a catharist. I will tell you what such a Parsifal had to experience in a story, not with an abstract explanation. For what is important is that one grasps something like this with one's emotional life. Now, when Parsifal, who at this stage could be called a pious one or a pure one, stepped before his master, Titterel, Titterel allowed him to use the forces that Parsifal had developed within himself through cath- catharsis for intensive concentration. Before Parsifal's eyes, the earth disappeared with everything upon it, and was gradually transformed into a picture of a plant-tree, which grew larger and larger, and from which a wonderful lily shot forth as a blossom. And while Parsifal was immersed in viewing this plant-tree, he heard behind him the voice of Blancheflore, who was, so to speak, symbolized by the lily. She said, "'That is you!' The lily gave forth a strong smell that had a repulsive effect on Parsifal, and he realized that this smell symbolized everything that he had set outside of himself through catharsis, and that this now surrounded him like an atmosphere. With this knowledge he watched the tree wilt, and in its place the black cross appeared, from which red roses sprouted and again he heard a voice behind him, the voice of Flor, whose symbol was the red rose, strengthened within itself, quote, that you will become. Parsifal was now led by Titurel into the loneliness of the mountains, so that he could meditate on the mighty pictures that were conjured up before his soul. And at a lonely height he directed his gaze toward the boundless heavens above him, looked forward and backward, toward the right and the left into the endless distance and an indescribable feeling of reverence and devotion to God who was revealed to him in everything overcame him and he directed his prayer to God you great enveloper whom I feel above below next to me who is everywhere whether I look forward or backward I would like to devote myself to you live for nothing else but you. Close quote. At the same time, however, he felt another divine power that did not overwhelm him the same way, that appeared to lead him into himself, and appeared to give him a center. And he felt a third power as a messenger of the great revealer, that appeared to lead him in circles around this center. He felt his left hand taken hold of by a force that pushed in as warmth through his hand to his heart, while another divine force pushed in through his right hand and made itself known through cold. If we wanted to draw these forces, we would have to draw the first three thus. And there's three lines two on the top making sort of the beginnings of an equilateral triangle, and the one below, which would make the third part of an equilateral triangle, is instead a curved arrow, And so the arrows go uh, like in a circle, circular shape, even though it's triangular. The other two forces that permeated him as a feeling, that made him aware of his connection with all the, of humanity, we draw as wings, and above that figure, two wings. Then the sky became dark for him. It lost its outer light, and suddenly space was illuminated for him from within. He had a feeling as if his head had opened to the divine light in the form of a chalice, and in this light he saw the messengers of the All-Revealer, who came toward him from above. Through the radiant light, that stood above him like a star and sent its shining light deeply into him, he heard a voice that said, quote, This is the light of the Father, out of which you were born. Close quote. And the knowledge came to him that in order to become worthy of this birth, he must transform within himself the green lily tree into the dead wood of the cross, just as Christ went through death on the cross and that only in this way could the hope blossom to resurrect in the Holy Spirit. The end of Record A. Record B. The old mysterious abodes of the Sun Oracle exerted their influence in Atlantean lands. Their wisdom was transplanted into the post-Atlantean cultures. Two streams of people came forth from Atlantis. One went through Africa, preparing the later Egyptian culture toward Asia, toward India, and the East altogether, preparing for the Christ Light. The other stream of people went through Europe toward Asia and left part of the stream to settle in Middle Europe. These people were led from the mystery centers, and the task of these centers was to prepare the West for the Christ Light that was to come to it later. A strong race of people with strong physical powers was to be educated. Emotionally strong, courageous, the forces of the heart were to be trained. That was their striving. Invisible to the people, great spiritual leaders from the spiritual heights guided this humanity and its mystery center. One of them was the so-called Round Table of King Arthur, the other the Druid Centers, the Trotton Centers, the mystery centers of the Ingevonen, especially during this age of preparation. There was a great spiritual individuality working from the spiritual world into Europe and its mystery centers. Readers aside, Ingevonen, I'm going to spell that, it's I-N-G-A-Umlaut, W-O-N-E-N, ingewonen. Okay, end of readers aside. He was called Tittorell. For his instruments, Tittorell used the spiritual or secular leaders of humanity, and we can understand their work only in this light. These facts are indicated in sagas and myths. The saga of the Holy Grail says that the cup with the collected blood of Golgotha was brought by angels to Europe. Tittorell received this cup. He kept it hovering above the countries of Europe and only after centuries did Titoral descend with it from spiritual heights down to the earth and found the mystery center of the Holy Grail on the mountain of salvation, Mont Salvat. He could only do that after several people were mature enough to receive the secret of the Grail. Everyone mature enough for this initiation was called Parsifal. Charlemagne, who came from the East, he was the reincarnation of a lofty Indian adept. Was an instrument of the spiritual individuality, symbolized by the name Titterel. Flore and and Blanche Flore, called Rose and Lily, are called the parents of Charlemagne in a spiritual sense. They were at work presiding over this mystery. A Parsifal had purified his soul of all earthly wishes and self-seeking through long meditations and concentration. He was a catharist and came as such to King Titoral. By exerting all the power that he had acquired through long exercises, he managed to bring forth his higher eye. He stood over and against himself. First he had to sacrifice his intellect. Then he experienced what is written down in the following esoteric script. He saw his physical being as a symbol. The entire physical world also disappeared for him. In its place he saw a great sprouting figure of a plant tree as large as the entire earth. And he saw a great white lily on top of it growing up out of the tree of life, and a voice behind him, the voice of Blanchefleur said, That is you and he saw his soul cleansed of passions and desires. The lily was magnificent, to be sure, and perfectly formed, but it was surrounded by an odoriferous atmosphere that caused Parsifal pain. He discovered that this aroma was everything that he had shed during his catharsis, that he had set out side himself. This now surrounded him. He learned that he must take all that back into himself, that he must transform this painful smell of the lily. He must transform it into the pure, holy fragrance of the rose. Then the symbolism disappeared. It got dark, and after a while in the darkness a second symbol arose for Parsifal, a black cross entwined with roses. The tree of life was transformed into the black wood of the cross, and the sprouting fragrant roses arising on it, because of the absolute devotion of the lily to this tree. And Flore's voice spoke behind him, thus you should become. The smell of the lily had disappeared, the red roses had absorbed it. Parsifal, however, saw that this purification alone was not enough that he must nail his lower self on the black cross and conform to the life of Christ. He must take it into himself so that the red roses would blossom. After this, Parsifal went to a place of solitude, and day and night let these symbols work within him. With time these symbols paled, yet the effects of their power remained and worked in him the same way as the forces in a seed, cause it to germinate and shoot forth. In the deep solitude in which he stood, he looked around. He looked forward and backward, up and down, right and left. And he felt the great unity in everything. He felt the great enveloper, the all-encompassing one. And he felt how the all-encompassing one sends him forces from all sides. And he experienced himself as a point, as the middle point, the center of these forces. He felt that this point within himself would be part of the great enveloper. And he then felt from the one side a stream that flowed through him and pushed him to be dissolved entirely in the Godhead, in these forces of the enveloper. But from the other side a force came that wanted to lead him to keep his self. And the third force was added that united the two streams and brought it about that the two paths that led apart went together into a circle. One is a power that extends into us, to which we must learn to devote ourselves entirely, a power that we also apply, though unconsciously, when we concentrate on an object. In contemplation we must find this power. Number 2 is the power that drives us to be entirely ourselves, to maintain our own self, which we also need in order to have enthusiasm, initiative for a life in the outer world. Three is actually a circle, a power from below, the power of the one who encircles. This power drives us to see all the joyful and sad experiences of life as existing around us, not in us. We recognize in it the power that works in the cosmos. It works in such a way that it also propels the celestial bodies around us, which also work upon us from the cosmos outside us. This circle line is usually drawn as a third straight line. If we come to know this power, then we can look upon what life brings us in joy and sorrow with composure. We know that everything arises from necessity. This is the driving force of the law of karma. Parsifal had achieved these three powers. He devoted himself to them. Then, from left and right, there came to him, so to speak, supports under his arms, something like warm and cold wings. From the left he felt a supporting power that flowed into his left side. Warmth created by spiritual fire. And from the right, a power that was cool, bringing coolness. Then, in the region of the larynx, he experienced currents from both sides. They came from the angel of light, who carried the spiritual light of wisdom to humans. He drew this spiritual light into himself. Then, with his spiritual ears, He heard sounds from the world of the harmony of the spheres, sounds that made clear to him the purpose and destiny of the human being and of world evolution. Again he tarried for a time. Then something penetrated into his head from above and a sum of forces flowed down through him. Here he experienced, flowing into and through his entire being, the power that the Creator allows us to experience as the power of the Father, in such a way that we feel ourselves as a creation of the Creator. And with the continuous impression of this experience, Parsifal's own being grew over the whole in the form of a pentagram. He felt himself as the son of this Father. He experienced the truth of the Rosicrucian saying, Ex Deo in Christo morima, per Spiritum Sanctum regalissimus. Parsifal had all these experiences when he stood in solitude before Titorel. There is then a whole page with a big diagram of uh, all these that would have to be seen. That's the end of record B. Record C. It is necessary to give an historical overview of the esoteric influences that have been brought about over the course of centuries by the great leaders, which we call the masters of wisdom and the harmony of feelings. Today, we want to consider the great migration of peoples, in which, from ancient Atlantis, part of the population moved through Africa to Asia, another part settled in Europe. In one region of Europe, in the West, a group of this migration remained behind under a leader of whom we find a weak echo in history. King Arthur and his Round Table. At that time, Europe had to be entirely prepared for his later development, and special individuals were chosen for this purpose, in order to organize the people so that they would be suitable for this later development. This was the first mystery school in Europe. Then came the age of Christ Jesus in the East. What ordinary history has to say about the moral and intellectual significance of these people is usually entirely wrong in light of esoteric facts. There are, so to speak, inspirers in the spiritual world for such leading individualities, excuse me, for such leading individuals. Among them are two spiritual beings, whose names are only weakly conveyed in history as Flor and Blanchefleur Blanche, flor, Blanche flor or lily blossom, while the former is called flor or rose blossom. These inspired, among others, Charlemagne. During the age of the mystery of Golgotha, a lofty individuality was withdrawn into higher worlds in order to bide his time, waiting until the time was ripe for his special work. He remained away for centuries, and finally he came back as King Titoral, to whom the Holy Grail was entrusted, the cup that had been brought by angels from Golgotha to the west. Every pupil of Titterell can bear the name Parsifal, for it is a group name. The story of one such Parsifal shall be told. A Parsifal had purified his soul of all earthly wishes and selfishness through long meditations and concentration. He was a catharist and stood pious. Excuse me, and stood pious and pure, before his master Titterell, who told him that all the forces that Parsifal had acquired through his long years of meditation and concentration were now to be used to fulfill himself. First he had to sacrifice his intellect. In setting out to do this, Parsifal strove with all the power he had acquired through long exercises. He succeeded in lifting up his higher eye. He stood over and against himself. Then he experienced what is written in the following esoteric script. Parsifal saw his being as a, in a symbol. Before his eyes his physical surroundings disappeared and were transformed into the picture of a plant tree as big as the earth. It was full of rising fluids and a wonderful lily as its blossom sprouted above. While Parsifal was immersed in beholding it, he heard behind him the voice of Blanchefleur, who was symbolized in the lily, saying, That is you. The lily was glorious and perfectly formed, but it sent forth a strong aroma that had a repulsive effect on Parsifal, and it was clear to him that this aroma symbolized everything he had set outside himself through catharsis, and that it now surrounded him like an atmosphere. From this he understood that the lower elements that he had set aside were not destroyed, but rather were in the atmosphere around the lily. He learned that he must take all that back into himself in order to transform this aroma from the lily. With this knowledge he watched the tree wither. The symbol disappeared, and it got dark. After some time another symbol arose out of the darkness for Parsifal, a black cross entwined with red roses. The tree, transformed into the black wood of the cross and the fragrant roses, was created by the sacrifice of the life of the white lily. And behind Parsifal, the voice of Flor, whose symbol was the strong red roses, spoke, That you will become. The aroma had disappeared, the roses had absorbed it. Parsifal saw that purification was not enough. He saw that he had to nail his lower self under the black cross in order for the roses to blossom. Parsifal was sent into a place of solitude so he could meditate on the powerful pictures that had been conjured up before his soul. Day and night he let the symbols work within him. Gradually the pictures paled, yet the effects of the forces remained and worked in him like the power that germinates a seed. In the solitude of the mountains in which he stood, Parsifal directed his gaze to the boundless sky above him, looked down into the boundless depths beneath him, to the right and the left, into the boundless distances, and an indescribable feeling of devotion and reverence for God, who was revealed in all, overcame him. He felt great unity in everything, and he directed his prayer to it. You great enveloper, you whom I feel above, below, and next to me, who are everywhere whether I look forward or backward, I would like to devote myself to you, to be dissolved in your being. At the same time, he felt another divine power that did not overwhelm him in this way, that seemed to lead him to himself, in order to give him a centre. He felt that this point was part of the great enveloper within him, the all-encompasser, behind which he sensed unity. This second power had the tendency to take him by the hand and to guide him from that center that he felt within himself, but which he surmised was below him, and which he could not consciously lead into consciousness to the periphery. Thus he felt from one side a stream that flowed through him, and strove toward complete dissolution in the Godhead, in the forces of the Enveloper. But from the other side came a power that wanted to lead him to develop his own self. And while these two forces worked on him, he felt a third power that joined together the previous two and led him to the periphery of the Enveloper. This third power, Parsifal experienced as a messenger of the Great Enveloper who appeared to lead him in circles around this center. It united the two streams and brought it about that the two paths which led apart were led together in a circle, went together in a circle, the fatherless and motherless paths. If we want to draw these powers, see the first drawing on page 429 that I mentioned earlier. Number one is a power that reaches into us, to which we must learn to devote ourselves completely a power that we make use of when we concentrate upon an object. We must find this power in contemplation. Number two is the power that drives us to be entirely ourselves, to maintain ourselves, which we also need in order to have enthusiasm, initiative for our life in the outer world. Number three is actually a circle, a power from below, the power of the circle. This power drives us to see all the joyous and sad experiences of life as surrounding us, not in us. In it, one recognizes the power that works in the cosmos, that also propels the heavenly bodies around us, which also work upon us from without, out of the cosmos. This circle is usually drawn as a third straight line. If we become acquainted with this power, And we can look upon what life brings us, in terms of grief and suffering, with equanimity. We will know that everything comes into being from necessity, which is the driving law of karma. Parsifal had achieved these three powers. He devoted himself to them. Then, from the right and the left, so to speak, as supports under his arms, there came to him something like warm and cold wings. From the left he felt a supporting power under his arm that flowed into his left side, warmth produced by spiritual fire. And on the right, a power that was cool, chilling. He felt that his left hand had been taken hold of by a power that penetrated through his hand to his heart, while through the right hand another divine power pressed in and announced itself through a feeling of cold. If we wanted to draw these powers that permeated him as a feeling, that brought him knowledge of his connection with all of humanity, we must draw this thus. See the second drawing on page 429. Then the sky became dark. It lost its outer light for him. Suddenly space was illuminated for him from within, as if light radiated radiated from his heart. In the region of his larynx, he experienced currents from both sides that came from the angels of light who carried the spiritual light of wisdom to humans. Then he drew this spiritual light into himself. He had a feeling as if his head were opening in the form of a chalice to the divine light. And in this light he saw the messengers of the all-envelopers who came upon him from above. From the widths of space he felt a radiation That flowed together in a point. From there it branched out and flowed through him as light that transformed the wisdom into a living power. This was revealed to him thus, as if two small wings would grow on him. See the third drawing in the circles, excuse me, in the series, on page 430. Then Parsifal heard in the stillness, which he would never have dared to break with a thought or sound, sounds ascending. The harmony of the spheres. With spiritual ears, he heard sounds that made clear to him the purpose and destiny of the human being and world evolution. He experienced there the power of the Father, the Creator, pouring into his whole being the power that allows us to feel ourselves as creations of the Creator. And he heard a voice that said to him, This is the light of the Father out of which you are born. And he came to know that in order to become worthy of this birth, he must transform the green lily tree within himself into the black cross from which the roses sprout, that he must lift himself onto the world cross as Christ went through death on the same, and that in this way the hope could blossom for him to resurrect in the Holy Grail. He experienced the truth of the Rosicrucian verse Ex Deonasimur, in Christo Morimur, per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. He felt himself as the Son of the Father, and with the constant impression of this experience, Parsifal's own being arose for him through it all in the form of a pentagram. And the rest of this is a, a bunch of diagrams. End of record C. Record D. This and the next esoteric lesson are only to be understood together. The leading spirits of the mysteries of all times came to Atlantis. From Atlantis some groups of people moved to Africa, others to Europe and Asia. And along the way mystery schools were founded. A lofty spiritual individuality worked in the European mysteries, who was then withdrawn for a long time from all activity. The round table of King Arthur is to be understood as such a mystery school. A higher personality who lived in India was incarnated in Europe in order to work there. This was a lofty personality, whatever one may want to think about his deeds. He had to be brought over from India in order to work here in Europe. That was Charlemagne. At a very specific time, that lofty spiritual being who had had to be withdrawn from all activity, could again work on earth. He was incarnated in a figure called Tittorel in the saga. The grail into which the blood of Christ was gathered was brought by angels to Europe, and there held hovering above Europe. A pupil of Tittorel's, Parsifal, had made himself completely pure and pious through every possible kind of exercise. All who strive for this ideal must make themselves into a pure and pious personality. One must give oneself in devotion, however. One can only give something if one has something. A sacrifice of the intellect is spoken of. Who has no intellect cannot sacrifice it. First we must form an intellect. We must develop it to the highest possible height. Only then can we sacrifice it. There are two beings who work from the divine into the earthly, floor and Blanche floor, the white lily and the red rose. And as Parsifal was thus prepared, he experienced in himself that he was, so to speak, divided, so that he saw how he stood over and against himself, and his higher self was as a shooting, sprouting tree, from which life flooded forth. From this tree a lily grew, and a voice, the voice of Blanchefleur, the white lily, said, That is you. Now the vision was transformed into the rose cross. The shooting, sprouting tree was transformed into the dead wood of the cross, from which roses were now radiating. Through absolute devotion, the tree had become dead wood, and the red roses now radiated forth spiritual life, and the voice of Flore, the red rose said, This you will become. Through the devotion by means of which Parsifal became completely pure, he could read the esoteric script. If we want to express in esoteric terms what the shooting, sprouting tree with the white lily and the dead black cross with the red roses mean, then we must make a drawing as follows, and that is the equilateral triangle with the curve on the bottom. With the tree with the lily, Parsifal feels as if he were in the center of the earth, of all earthly happenings. With a rose cross he encompasses all, which is indicated by the circle. That's the end of record D. This is record E. Two streams of people went forth from Atlantis, one through Africa toward Asia, the other through Europe toward Asia. Places of initiation were founded in Europe, whose task it was to form and develop a strong race of people, also with strong physical powers. One such leader who had come from Atlantis watched invisibly over the spiritual forces that went out from the mystery centers, one named after the myth of King Arthur's Round Table. At the same time Christ came to earth. A saga tells the story of how a vessel with the collected blood of Golgotha was brought by angels to Europe, where it was held hovering above the earth. A lofty leader, King Titarell, received it, the Holy Grail. Only after centuries, when a few people were mature enough for it, did he come down to the earth and found a place of initiation. Everyone who was mature enough for initiation became a Parsifal, Two spiritual beings, according to the legend, Flor or Floss and Blanche Flor, the lily and the rose, related to Charlemagne spiritually as parents and actively stood over this mystery. A Parsifal had purified his soul of all earthly wishes and self seeking through long meditations and concentration. He was a Catharist and came to Titera. By exerting all the power that he had acquired through long exercises, he managed to lift up his higher eye, and he stood before himself and saw himself in a symbol. The entire physical world disappeared, and in its place he saw a great sprouting, dreamlike form of a plant as large as the earth, and on top of it a white lily blossoming. The voice of Blancheflor behind him said, That is you and he saw his purified soul. But the lily was surrounded by an atmosphere of smell that came from it. Parsifal did not like it. This was the wishes and desires that he had shed through his purification. The symbol disappeared, it got dark, and in the darkness arose the second symbol, a black cross entwined with red roses, and the voice of Flore spoke behind him, Thus you will become... The smell had disappeared, the flower had absorbed it, and it had become a red rose. And Parsifal saw that purification was not enough, that he must nail his lower self on the black cross and live according to the life of Christ, so that the red roses could blossom. After this, Parsifal went into solitude and let the symbols work within him day and night. With time, the symbols grew pale but a seed had sprung from them. In his solitude he looked around, he looked forward and backward, above and below, to the right and to the left, and he felt a great unity, the great veiler. He felt strong currents flowing into him from all sides, and he felt them working together toward a point within, and that this point point is part of the great veiler. From one side he felt a current that flowed through him and pushed him to be dissolved entirely in the Godhead. From the other side came a power that wanted to lead him to maintain himself. A third power, that united the other two, so to speak, brought it about that the two paths that led apart went together in a circle. From the left he felt a supporting force under his arm that flowed into his left side producing warmth, spiritual fire. From the right, a similar force, a chilling force that restored harmony. Then he experienced the spiritual light, which he absorbed into himself. Then he heard harmonies of the spheres. And finally, something forced itself into his head and flowed through him with a sum of forces that united in a center and flowed down. And he realized the truth from God we are born, in Christ. We must die. And in the Holy Spirit, we have the hope to resurrect again. The end of record E. And record F here, and also the end of this section, and there will be one last section of the book. Record F, parenthesis, other notes, which also contain a report of the next lesson from August 30th, 1909. Close parenthesis. A Parsifal, through teachings from Titterell, a lofty initiate, had the experience of a white lily that grew out of the sprouting earth. That is you. And a rose cross. That you should become. In the solitude afterward, the vision above came to him. Number one equals a power that extends into us, to which we devote ourselves entirely, that also fills us when we concentrate on an object. Number two equals another power that drives us to be entirely ourselves. Number three equals actually a circle that drives us to see all joyous and sad experiences around us, not in us, the force that also drives the celestial bodies around us, which then from without influences us. This circle is usually drawn as a third straight line, and the triangle is, so to speak, the driving necessity. If we devote ourselves to it, then from the left and the right, so to speak, warm and cold wings support us under our arms. It is enthusiasm that carries us. Then currents come to us approximately in the region of the throat from the angels of light, who bring us wisdom. Then we hear, so to speak, with spiritual ears, the purpose and the destiny of our actions and of the whole. If we wanted to draw it, we would draw curved lines and see the following diagram. And finally something from above penetrates us that allows the Creator to appear to us, that allows us to experience Him so that we feel and see ourselves as creatures, not only know ourselves as such. A pentagram grows in us above the whole of it with an ongoing impression of this experience. The double drawing is also for the next esoteric lesson of August 30th, 1909, and there is a picture that is the end of that esoteric lesson and the end of this penultimate section of the book.